We are Penn State. Come on in, everybody. Come in. It's Friday, September 16th, 2022. You should be able to hear the music now. People are like, I can't hear the music. I turn it up. So if you can hear it, great. If you can't, I'm sorry. It's probably your TV. Um, <laughs> welcome to this Friday's Community Forum. Uh, very exciting day. A lot to talk about. We have a, uh, an, a returning guest and, an ex- and, a, and a new guest as well for our Community Forum today. Say hello again to Mr. Hans. And then our very special guest, brand new Community Forum uh, discussion member, Mr. Borkhand, a.k.a. Richard. Did I say Borkhand right? (laughs) You said said Borkhand right, but you mispronounced Richard, unfortunately. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, come on, my friend. How you doing? Thank you. Very well. Absolutely. Uh, So let's go ahead and uh, in the comments section, as you're coming in, let us know where you're from. Uh, Do tell us uh, if you can hear us okay, see us okay. Everybody already knows you, Hans, so maybe we'll just allow Richard to uh, go ahead and give us an introduction, um, you know, who you are, how you got involved in Tesla, and then just kick off the discussion for us, and we'll get started right away. Sure. I'm, I'm a native uh, Californian, first-generation uh, American. Uh, I'm a lawyer by trade. I apologize. Um, <laughs> the best I could say is um, the best example of me is my kids. So I have three kids. One, unfortunately, is a a lawyer in New York on Wall Street. Uh, He's much smarter than I, luckily. My my oldest works for Apple and is a uh, works on the uh, watch. And he was a a classically trained musician, French horn, and then taught himself kind of computer programming and went to Apple. And my daughter is a zookeeper at the L.A. Zoo. So I have a, a, a menagerie. Literally and figuratively, uh, of kids. So I, you've done a I, great yeah, job. <laughs> thank you. You kind of asked me, like, and I threw out a topic. I, I yeah. what, what I was thinking about was kind of why I invested in Tesla stock, and there's mm. a lot of lot of reasons. And I kind of wrote them down. Um, obviously, uh, one is because I'm interested in protecting the environment and all that stuff. Um, two was Elon because he's just an, a really interesting character um, and um, a brilliant guy. So I, I ultimately decided I'd just kind of throw my support behind him and notwithstanding whatever foibles or mistakes or missteps I thought, I thought in the grand scheme of things, he was much smarter than me and I would ride ride with his, his kind of coattails. Um, <laughs> three, the money, I thought I'd make a lot of money ultimately on it. Four, and um, unfortunately or unfortunately, this is kind of something that pervades my life otherwise. I thought it would be really exciting because, you know, you could, I could buy Xerox or some other stock or whatever stock that would, would make money. But this is kind of like ultimately like a, a soap opera day to day. There's always something going on, uh, good or bad. Ultimately, it's on an uptick. But, you know, there's all pluses and minuses and kind of the downside lets you appreciate the upside more if, yeah. it, if, if it was so constant it wouldn't be such a drop for me for 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 me um i'm from california la and it's car culture so you know ever since i was a kid i got a i got a car when i was 16 i had a um a 1970 a, no, a 1967 camaro it was a beautiful beautiful car and so anyway, uh, I was just in the car culture, and Tesla is it. So that that drew my attention. 
Um, I've always been interested in technology and Tesla, Tesla was always, you know, at the forefront of technology. So that was a, another, another draw. I always thought it was somewhat anti-establishment in essence. I always thought sure. Elon was that way. And that was, that was something that appealed to me somewhat. I come from a somewhat unorthodox background. My parents were Holocaust survivors. Uh, my sister lives in, an, in one country. I was born in the United States. So I probably have a little bit different view of the world and maybe, you know, a little more distrusting of government based on history. So I kind of <clears throat> like the anti-establishment um, stance. Mm. Um, I like the team-oriented approach of everybody who like who follows Tesla. Everybody is kind of on the same page. Everybody's rooting for the same thing. And it is like a team. And I find that a really positive psychological um, thing. And the uh, last part is I'm interested in solar energy. So Tesla, maybe one day, one day, will produce <laughs> enough solar panels so I can get a solar roof in my in my house, which I'm that's what I'm waiting for. That's great. That day is coming, I'm sure. Maybe in the next ten to twenty years. Who knows? That's great. Right. <laughs> when uh, when was your first? Uh, what was the first time you invested in the company, Richard? About uh, three years ago. Okay. I didn't Got invest. It. I didn't. I, I'm I'm an attorney, so I'm uh, familiar with, but didn't invest in the stock market until about three years ago. So okay. I've enjoyed the Mr. Toad's wild ride to this point in time, <laughs> but I. I have a long enough horizon. I figure, you know, I'm, I'm figure I have at least ten years. I can let it sit. So I figure over ten years. I hope in ten years we're far better positioned than we are today. Yeah. What's interesting about that time horizon is that I guess 2019, um, about three years ago, would have been 2019. So that's uh, exiting what I'd like to call the FUD years, right? Or kind mm -hmm. of like from like 2014 to 2019. The stock was sort of range bound for what seemed like forever. And then once it started posting those profitable quarters back to back is when really the stock had that gigantic leg up to where we are today. Um, what was that like sort of uh, like how were you able to separate the signal from the noise at that time? Because there was quite a bit. I'm curious to hear how you like you kind of listed all the different sort of reasons why you like it. But was there a lot of noise that was keeping you from discovering that? And how did you uh, parse through it? I don't think I had the available cash or I didn't want to make the cash available. I don't know which one because I okay. could have taken it out of my house or something like that. I had enough equity, but I just wasn't, I was, I was focused elsewhere. So I just wasn't focused on uh, the investment part. And unfortunately, uh, more of my investment came post split, post, uh, you know, post high than mm. pre high. So I'm more writing the, on the come as opposed to I can retire. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. And you know, and, and but, but their Tesla's are everywhere. You know, I, I live outside mm -hmm. of LA, so I don't live right in LA. I kind of live uh, between Malibu, Calabasas and Westlake village. If, if any of those mean anything. Okay. And, um, but you constantly see Tesla's on the road. And as a matter of fact, from my house, about maybe a half a mile out in Agoura, there is a Tesla service center just sitting sitting there. So mm -hmm. they're everywhere. So it's part of the culture. Um, you know, and, and ultimately, you know, California is like about 40 million people. And despite all its political and other crazy issues, um, you know, it's got a huge car. We, we buy a lot of cars. 
So mm -hmm. we make a huge impact on uh, Tesla's uh, well-being. Mm -hmm. Have you seen it um, even to this day? So I know 2019, there's probably going to be a lot of Tesla cars driving around that region anyway. But have you seen a an uptick in how many Teslas are driving around nowadays as well? Or is it pretty steady? No, I've seen an uptake, but I've seen more of an up, uptake in uh, chargers. So I'll okay. go to like a movie theater and I'll see a movie theater with uh -huh. a bunch of chargers. And that to me is even more obvious than the number of vehicles. Looks like the infrastructure is is moving at even a faster pace than the autos themselves. That's great mm -hmm. to hear. This is probably a, a, a specifically a California thing because I, I I'm not seeing that uh, nearly as much around around these parts. I still feel like like destination chargers do exist in say Austin, but they're not becoming. Um, like I'm not seeing a gigantic surge. It's like one or two, right, at spots. And I think the domain, which is a sort of North Austin spot, um, they have like a like their decks have a lot of EV chargers, but it's not it's not commonplace to see them. Whereas it sounds like it's becoming much more so, at, at least around the parts that you're at. Uh, yeah, sure. it is, and it yeah. probably started. Yeah, my guess is they they always had always had a heavier presence here anyway, and yeah. uh, it's a bigger market, so it makes mm -hmm. sense they're going to sell more here, and they, they should be. You know, yeah, for sure. Uh, Hans, did you want to did you want to ask any questions, or did you have anything in mind there you wanted to uh, throw out? I was just thinking about the chargers, and I'm pretty sure they said they prioritize those based on wait times. And so, basically, wherever they have long wait times on chargers is where they build them. And so, yeah, yeah. I know that the charging infrastructure there in and around LA is a lot better than it is here in the middle of nowhere, Texas. So, we've got like one charger within uh that's like an actual supercharger there's a couple of like little destination chargers here and there uh within about 50 miles of here and then yeah like one supercharger yeah yeah i do i do find it interesting um so like where my head goes to is when we're talking about chargers this sort of uh, uh bill that was signed mm -hmm. recently the ev uh call it the the EV bill is what I, what I call it. It's part of the Inf Inflation Reduction Act, but or the IRA. But um, that whole charging infrastructure piece of it is really interesting to sort of follow because I'm curious, is this the time where Tesla really needs to make a giant push to move the standard towards theirs? Or are we just going to go down a path of um, you know, having a situation where, you know, like in the, in the, uh, say the charging for phones, you have lightning, you have USB C, you got USB, whatever B or whatever those formats are. I'm curious if this is the signal for Tesla to really start, uh, start to invest heavily in lobbying or whatever, to start pointing that ship towards that direction. I don't know if you guys have any thoughts around that. Yeah. I mean, I would love to see that, um, the, Tesla charging standard is obviously way better. And I mean, I guess, so one question that I have that if anyone in the the chat knows, you know, Tesla has open sourced a lot of their patents. Have they open sourced the supercharger patents? And if so, why are these EV charging companies not using them? Because I think there was a some pictures that circulated around on Twitter not too long ago of the inside of like a Tesla charger and then the inside of the, um, what's the other network called? 
I'm blanking Electrify on the name. America. Electrify America. Yeah, the EA chargers and just how radically different the and simpler the Tesla charger was. And yeah, even if they even if they don't make that standard, like people need to work on on that because it's going to be a huge piece moving forward. And as far as, you know, with Tesla, they're just going to have so much excess cash here, especially starting next year. I mean, we could potentially see huge prints in Q3 and Q4 um, that it just makes sense that they really need to go all in on expanding their infrastructure, like Richard was saying, that they're doing, uh, but all across the country. And then, you know, as far as overall EV adoption, getting to the point where they have enough excess capacity to where we can go ahead and open up the Tesla network to all EVs. And then, yeah, I think that you're right, like going ahead and investing some money in lobbying to go ahead and make this the, the at least the national standard. Um, it's definitely the way forward because Electrify America, you know, basically anyone who talks about it, yeah, they, you just don't, you can't count on being able to charge when you pull up to one. And so if you can't count on it, then that's just going to ruin the EV experience. And, you know, I want Ford's EV experience to be on par with Tesla's people who buy a lightning, people who buy a Mustang Mach-E, um, you know, people who buy the Hyundais and the Kias that are coming out that are electric, they need to have a positive EV experience so that we can continue to drive adoption. I mean, I guess the IRA will, will basically drive adoption uh, either way, but it needs to be more convenient. And, you know, I would think to become the standard, they ultimately have to get government approval. And, you know, they have to make nice, nice. And I don't know if Elon is interested (laughs) in or capable of making nice, nice. And until that happens, it's a battle to become Mm -hmm. the standard. You could do, I mean, you could do whatever you want, but -hmm. you may not be the standard. And, you know, and uh, the the opposite is kind of like Neo in, in China. The Chinese government got behind battery swapping and Neo kind of adopted that as their kind of distinction and how they operate. But the government is basically was subsidizing a lot of at least the initial uh, mm-hmm. battery swap stations. So they were in, a, in line. So, you know, it, which I think is good in one, in some ways, because it will mean you're the car company of the government and that's good it probably is not good for your margins because you ultimately have to kind of sell at government prices too, if you're going to sell cars to the government, but at least that means the government has got your back. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that's one of the downsides of Tesla in my mind is they're competing They're You know, they're anti the government in a lot of ways. And so they're not going to get a lot of favors in return. You know what's ironic about that statement, though? The the IRA seems to have given Tesla a gigantic amount of uh, uh, yeah. incentives by accident. Almost. Yeah, I was going to say, probably not intentionally. <laughs> I, I, I agree with you. Yeah. Based on the conversations I've had with Bradford, it seems like there are definitely, there's a contingent of people in Washington. I definitely uh, wouldn't necessarily say it's the high up edges of the um, Biden administration, but there's a contingent of people who really understand. I mean, if you dig into the IRA, it's very impressive. The more and more research that I've done on it, how 
well it is crafted not only to because at first when it came out i was really nervous i thought that it was just going to um incentivize the demand without doing anything to incentivize all the downstream pieces to increase supply and so i just thought we were gonna basically waste a lot of money and still run into the exact same uh, raw materials bottlenecks in 2025 2026 with lithium and nickel and all kinds of different battery materials um but yeah, then digging in deeper with Bradford and watching some of the stuff that if you anyone's not subscribed to the Rockstock channel that Howard Klein and Rodney Hooper have, um, it's another great resource. And they've done a Rockstock? couple of, yeah, Rockstock. Um, they did a couple of videos here recently, and one of them was with a, a guy who's a lobbyist in Washington. Uh, I think his name was John... <sighs> if you can zoom in on that a little bit and go to recent videos, it was like three videos ago. Uh, go to the tab where it says videos. Yeah. And then, yeah, that one with John Cowan. There, the third, the fourth one, the one over oh, the from there. The fourth one, sorry. Yeah, the this guy. Yeah. So okay. that episode was incredible. If you go in and you listen to it and he talked a lot about um, the behind the scenes that went into crafting it and they really understand they use. So apparently I know that some people in the audience will know this, but um, they specifically mentioned one of uh, Bradford's contacts specifically mentioned that people in Washington have been watching Jordan Giesecke's limiting factor mm. videos to understand batteries and battery supply chains. And they actually were informed by that. And they said, you know, it just makes the information because they've got all sorts of academic contacts that they can talk to. But Jordan's information is so much more accessible than any of the reports or other things that they had access to. And so they've been watching that to understand how things were flowing. And that helped them to realize that, hey, we really do need to address the battery raw material supply chain issue and all this. And then of course, all the geopolitical tensions with China and just wanting to make ourselves more independent from them. Um, and so there's a lot in the bill th that actually incentivizes and makes it easier for people to uh, mine here in the, or well, not necessarily mine, but all the refining. So there's nothing in the bill for mining specifically, but basically any step after mining, they've gone all the way back to that and said, Hey, there's incentives for building lithium refining, um, capacity here in the United States, which I thought it was very, I don't think it's a coincidence that Tesla announced its lithium refining project here in Texas, right on the heel of that, that, that it, there is specific uh, subsidy money for that. And then um, we'll see here in at the end of September, on September 30th, um, Manchin, and so part of his deal with the Democratic Senate was that he wants to get some modifications done to NEPA, which is the National Environmental Protection Act, that makes it very hard to do any sort of construction on federal lands. And it's like a six-year process to go through NEPA. And, you know, I think um, Rodney has talked about there's usually almost a 10-year lead time between when you start planning 
uh, mining project in the United States and when it can actually come online. Well, and six of those years really have to do with just how long the NEPA process is. And so he's trying to tack on a bill. So the funding for the government is on these temporary deals. And there's one of them that is coming up on September 30th. And so in order for Manchin to sign off on the IRA, he said, okay, I'll do that. If we make some modifications here to this whole NEPA process and the timeline. And I think the goal was to reduce it from six years down to three. And all this information that I'm sharing is from that specific video of John Cowens on the Rockstock channel. Um, so that could radically reduce the lead time to get a project in the United States up and running uh, for anything on federal lands related to battery supply chain. And then there's a whole other group within the government. Um, I can't remember what it was called that basically, I think you said it was the FAST program where there's a, a group in the White House that their goal is to basically fast track projects that they believe are critical to the country through all the regulatory process. Um, and so there's some accommodations in the IRA as well uh, to get lithium and raw materials projects to a point where they are eligible to utilize that FAST program. So I thought you were going to say, yeah. Yeah. say the, the FAST program, was the way they weren't going to eat until the uh, materials were available. They were going to fast. Yes. Um, Hold on. I, I got to throw a middle finger to Matt real quick. Okay, we're good. <laughs> Go for it, Richard. <laughs> He's yeah, you know, I also on heard Penn like Mark, Martin uh, spoke recently and he was talking about that ultimately they were going to, and I, I, I've wondered about this because the raw materials. Um, so he talked about, or it was a reference, so I don't know if, what the question was, but he said ultimately they're going to have to have factories in all, all continents, mm -hmm. which I I hadn't heard that before, but I've always wondered based upon raw materials. I thought Australia to me seems like a slam dunk because of the uh, availability of the raw materials. And I always thought like Argentina, Brazil, somewhere in there for the same reason that ultimately those were places that would fit that, that prescription because at least the, some, some of the supply materials would be right on, on hand. Do you have any thoughts on that? Um, so the, there's more than just the battery materials. Those places make a lot of sense from a battery materials perspective. But uh, like Australia specifically, it's most things are much more expensive in Australia just because it's harder to get them to Australia. A lot of stuff has to be shipped to them. And so anything that is not produced domestically that is required for the car, like if you're going to set up a Tesla factory in Australia, there would be a lot of stuff that you don't currently have to ship very far to get it to the factory now, but you are getting these raw materials from there that are going through China and you know all over the world. Um, so you'd have some of the battery stuff would be closer, uh, cheaper to transport, but then some of your other components might be a little bit more difficult to get there and more expensive. So I don't know. I've been, I was specifically curious and thinking about Australia recently and whether it would end up being a net neutral, a net benefit, or if it would actually be a net negative as far as material transport costs to get all the, all the components that you need to produce vehicles in Australia. And the market itself, I know is a very small auto market. Um, I know that Japan being the third largest, um, 
several people have been talking a lot about Japan recently. Uh, also, South Korea is a huge auto market that's also over there. Um, they're a little bit farther away from raw materials for batteries, but then they have a lot of the other electronic components close by. So, yeah, not I sure. Yeah, I wonder about like Japan and South Korea, though, because because at this point in time, they're basically dying countries. You know, their populations. Mm -hmm. I think South Korea has the the fastest declining population and yep. Japan is number yep. two. And ultimately, <laughs> you need a workforce to kind of like you need young workers to put in the mm -hmm. factories. And yep. with, uh, you know, where like the elderly are five times as more prevalent as a 30 year old. It's a tough, a tough fit. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Sorry, Hans, I don't know if you're going to say something else. I was going to jump in. Go for it. Yeah, that oh, yeah. was. Yeah. I think what's what's interesting about this entire discussion is that under. So Tesla is going to be able to essentially, um, <laughs> for better or for worse, dramatically improve their ability to generate a profit, which is going to uh, allow them to have pricing power that is uh, very, very um, it's quite a bit above every every other auto manufacturer, call it, unless those auto manufacturers are able to take advantage of those credits. So that's the way I think about it. So if I think if I go fast forward five to ten years in advance, since Tesla, uh, either by happenstance or or because this was a strategic call, knowing that this was going to be a thing down the road, I, I highly doubt it. They just want to be vertically integrated, but them deciding to be vertically vertically integrated and bring all this stuff in house, they've stumbled upon this opportunity to essentially be able to lower their prices by 10, 15, 20% versus every single other automaker. In addition to the, um, the, the benefits they already get from the manufacturing innovations that they have, 4680 uh, structural ba battery pack, um, economies of scale, uh, having a just just all these different variables, but now you throw this additional one in there that just because they happen to be a manufacturer of batteries, they could take these dollars in a market where I don't know, say that the market wants to uh, demand a lower price EV vehicle. It seems like they're going to be the only ones to be able to do that in ten years' time because of this because of this piece of legislation. Again, unless mm -hmm. another automaker. Uh, decides from a strategic perspective to bring that capability in-house so they can take advantage of that bill. And then my head goes to, okay, what does that mean <laughs> within the dynamics of how Tesla is going to be painted in, say, the media, right? They're going to be like, wow, look at these. this company is stealing taxpayer money to make uh, cars for the public. And every, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of pressure on that. Yeah. But that's, that's where my head goes. And it's, it's such a fascinating <sighs> dynamic. Well, there's, there's one variable in there. So the way that the agreements are set up, for example, all of the batteries that are produced by Panasonic in Giga Nevada, Tesla is eligible for the battery credits that are generated by the production of those batteries. Um, and it's just because of the way that the contract between Panasonic and Tesla is that Tesla as the customer is actually the one who is eligible to get the batteries or the battery right. credits in the IRA as it stands currently, assuming that, you know, once they come out and they give all their clarifications on the bill and what all it takes to be, uh, be eligible for that do in fact come to pass. But, uh, so the other, the other companies could set up their contracts the same way Ford can do that. Uh, GM can do that to where, even though they're not in-house producing them. Um, but the, you know, 
at the end of the day, the battery manufacturers are still going to be the ones that have the leverage and they can say, okay, you can get the credit, but I'm just going to raise the prices on the exactly. batteries by the price <laughs> of the credit. And so I'm going to get the money in at the end exactly. of the day. Um, so it does put them in a tougher spot, but there, there is a little bit more leeway for manufacturers there um, to play with. They may be able to split it and not be completely uh, left out in the cold with regards to that money. I was thinking that there's one other element, and this is both good and bad, because I think, you know, um, uh, Tesla is going to outkick their coverage. So, you know, I think they're going to do better, like if, if it was today. They're going to do better than their stock price will represent. And I believe that's in part because, again, institutional ownership is lower than in most of the big cap stocks. Mm-hmm. And so there's less of an interest for the all the funds to push Tesla to, to put articles out countering some negative article. And I think at some, as things go on, as Tesla piles up cash, there'll be more institutional ownership, good and bad. And as more institutional ownership comes in, they'll support the price better. Mm-hmm. And Tesla will be uh, have a much more stable and less volatile uh, rise, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think that makes yeah. sense. <clears throat> yeah, you're definitely yeah. touching on Alexandra's wheelhouse there that with the hopefully forthcoming investment grade update by um, S&P, then Moody's will follow. They'll become investment grade. We'll start getting a lot more institutions who currently may or may not be interested in Tesla, but will be, um, they're pr- currently prevented from being able to invest in it, uh, to go ahead and start getting in. And then it'll be, a, you know, a sheep thing. Once someone starts, other people will follow and it'll just continue. Um, and so that's one of the big catalysts potentially in the next six months to a year for the stock price specifically. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, um, <clears throat> it's a fascinating thing to follow. There was one, one question here I want to get to real quick. I don't know if any of you guys have thoughts about mm-hmm. this, but sort of this is where my, my head, it's sort of like in parallel to this, but I don't know if we want to address this question quick. Do you see Tesla licensing or purchasing AM YZF recycling tech, or will they leave that to Redwood? I think they're just going to allow Redwood to sort of recycle all the batteries because, you know, JB and Elon pretty close. And I'm sure, I'm sure they were talking about this in 2014. And then uh, they were thinking about bringing in a house. And then JB's like, you know what? I got it. Let me just go start a thing. And now they're going to just utilize that supply chain to make it happen. But but we're sort of slightly in parallel to this comment as we're talking about this topic of uh, Tesla really taking advantage of this tax credit in manufacturing uh, or being really part of the manufacturing process of the batteries. How much does this become a incentive for Tesla to really get into the business of selling their batteries to other manufacturers? You know, because they are going to have pricing power. Mm-hmm. They're, they're going to have pricing power. So Hans, the thing you described there where the uh, in a relationship with Ford GM, call it, and say LG mm-hmm. or whoever else, ultimately LG or whoever else, CATL, have the uh, the ultimate say when it comes to how much how much they decide to pass on 
to the from a savings perspective to the manufacturer if they have in the contract uh, if they have it written in a way so that they take advantage of that EV tax or that that credit or whatever it is. Whereas Tesla has full power on how they want to decide to pass on those savings. If Tesla gets to a point where they are the largest manufacturer of batteries in the world in 10 to 20 years time because of master plan part mm-hmm. three, theoretically they would have the best uh, pricing power in the market. So does that become, and I wonder if Tesla's thinking about that long-term, like is this, does this bill give Tesla additional incentive to want to flood the market with cheap, high-quality, usable batteries for the entire market? And what does, how does that bode for the rest of the market? I don't know if Richard or Hans, if you have any thoughts on that. But I was going to first answer the first thing. So they already had an opportunity to get a recycling uh, place in Nevada. I think it's ABML, it's American mm-hmm. Battery something, whatever, which is a recycling facility that's right next to the Tesla facility. And I've heard for the past five years that Tesla is going to acquire it and use it for battery recycling. And they never did. And it was like, you know, if you were thinking like strategically, it was right next door. So it made a lot of sense, but they really didn't seem to be interesting, which kind of went, which takes me to the battery issue. I, you know, ultimately, it just to me, it looks, it just depends on margins. If, you know, their margins suck and it's taking them a lot of reason, it's still profitable, but the margins are significantly less than selling EVs and it takes a lot of resources, then it's less attractive. And if the reverse is true, if the margins are great and they figure out the processes to manufacture and it doesn't take away from the primary purpose, the primary goal, I think, you know, originally, at least the original goal of building cars, if it doesn't uh, decrease that, then I think it's a plus. Got it. Mm-hmm. And then uh, oh, the uh, answer that was the yes and the no. <laughs> <laughs> and then as far as the, the second the second thing that we discussed about uh, Tesla becoming a a uh, potential like an incentive now they have an incentive because of this new IRA bill to become a supplier because they have full pricing power when it comes to um, the sales. I think that they will do whatever makes the most sense to transition the world to sustainable energy at the time, and it's really kind of difficult to say what that's going to be at this point in time. I think one of the big variables in there is where is Tesla bought and mm. how many are they trying to produce? How many batteries do they need for those? Because um, I think it'd be pretty easy to make a case that if the world is not saturated with robo taxis and Tesla bots, that Tesla is better served by allocating that cell supply to those projects. And you know, the specific scenario you proposed was, hey, if they have a, an excess supply of cells, I think, yeah, it would make a lot of sense to sell those and, you know, to other people. Um, but I also, you know, it, it seems like Tesla can figure out how to create value added products with cells at a faster rate than they can create cells. And so... You know, I don't know how far into the future that that's going to continue, but I would, I would posit that it's probably quite a while. Maybe Tesla Bot would be perfectly used in that capacity of building batteries. Uh, maybe because you know there's chemicals, dangerous chemicals. It's probably not safe for humans to participate in that. Yeah. And maybe ultimately that makes the labor costs ridiculously cheap, and maybe it, you know, may, maybe that's the the arena. It's already a pretty automated process. There's not a whole lot of 
you know, direct human involvement in cell manufacturing. It's a lot of purpose-built machines and robots. Yeah. I was going to say the, neg- the, the downside would be they are not like the first mover. There's existing battery companies. So they're competing mm-hmm. against, you know, like Panasonic and the like. Mm-hmm. And, and BYD, you know, the Chinese uh, EV maker is a big battery producer also. So it's a more competitive area. I don't know if they have the the lead necessarily in manufacturing capacity, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There was a comment that was dropped here. We were talking about um, uh, briefly about investment grade. I want to I want to bring it up. Kathy K put it down. Um, mm-hmm. We were talking about sort yeah. of how the Tesla become an investment grade. Richard was walking us through how does the additional cash uh, influence into institutional buying, especially, you know, if they get investment grade. A comment from Kathy. Kathy, big supporter of the show. I want to tell this story again. We The first time we had Gary Black, uh, his microphone was, uh, let's just say, less than perfect. And Kathy donated $100 to the stream. Uh, I think initially jokingly saying get Gary a new mic, but we actually used a hundred bucks and we got Gary a new mic. And so that's why in the second one, he sounds so good. So Kathy, I'm not going to forget that. It's you. You're the reason why Gary sounds good. Okay. Don't let him forget on Twitter. Um, but, but she said after Apple became um, investment grade, CFO bought back shares to the tune of the entire debt issue. Um, but what's interesting there is that Tesla doesn't have debt. So, but, but, but how much of a, how much of the, of a sort of lever can they pull like, could this be part of the cashback plan? You know, I'm, I'm curious. Yeah. So what she's referring to is another thing that Alexandra has been talking about where it's, you know, what, one of the things that Tesla can do if they decide to is they can issue new debt when they issue new debt, it will, you know, they can trigger a rating by S and P 500 and Moody's. And so they'll go from being sub investment grade to triple a, because all of the actual quantitative metrics more than justify it. Um, and then they can use the whatever debt that they issue to then go back and purchase shares and do share buybacks with that money on the open market. And, you know, this was basically what Apple did in 2013. They trolled basically the financial community. They said, hey, we're going to borrow your money and then we're going to use it to <laughs> buy back our stock. You're going to, you know, and we're going to get a whole bunch of people piling into the stock from institutions at the same time that we're reducing the float because we're buying back shares and it, it translated into a huge run for Apple. And so, yeah, the question is, does Elon and does Zach decide that, Hey, that's some, you know, game that we're willing to play that we're going to troll them because they do have to pay S and P and uh, Moody's rating fees in order to, when they go say, Hey, we're going to get the new debt. And so, you know, the whole S and P 500 Moody's credit rating deal is kind of a pay to play game. Um, And so, you know, on the one hand you say, I just don't want to play. And whenever they upgrade us is whenever they upgrade us, or you can troll them like Apple did. Yeah. I guess the, of course the ultimate troll will just be to buy them. (laughs) (laughs) That would be amazing. Could you imagine? That would be awesome. (laughs) <laughs> uh, Yashu in the house. Yashu hit that bid. Congratulations okay. on 20,000 subscribers, by the yes, way. Thank Finally, you. Thank we you. got you there, bro. That's amazing. <laughs> Appreciate it. Great to hear. How's it going, guys? Absolutely. It's going great, man. Good. Um, 
Yeah, I'm just, uh, these community forums, I wanted to try something today. We're having an amazing discussion with Richard and Hans. Uh, and I saw Matt and uh, Yashu and others in the comments section. And I just went on the end. I'm like, here, here's the link. If you want to come on, you can. It's, I don't care. It's a community just, forum, you know? <laughs> I actually, like, I, I clicked on the link. I went through my camera setup and I hit enter studio thinking I'd be in the background. And, like, I popped nope. right in. I was like, oh, well, I'm here. <laughs> Yashu, I don't fuck around, bro. You stick and you come in, you're in. <laughs> That's what she said. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey. Uh, any any thoughts, Yashu? I, I know you were probably in the, in the comment section not 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 too long, but or I don't know how long you were in the comment section for. But any thoughts about sort of what we're talking about with the with the with the bond buybacks and and the credit bond rating buybacks, EV EV tax credit credit ratings. Yeah, yeah. I, well, I, the the biggest thing for me is like how much of this is already is Wall Street not pricing in? I think you know Bradford said he doesn't think any of this bottom line uh, with, the, with the battery credits is being priced into the into earnings EPS at all. I mean, I mean, one other thing is it's not just next year, right? It's like in perpetuity, like until 2030, mm -hmm. actually. So well, yeah, in perpetuity. So until 2030, at least. And it's like no one really other than Tesla is really primed to take advantage of of the credits um, and, and all of the all the mm -hmm. of, and perhaps direct payments. We don't actually know exactly how mm -hmm. it's going to be fed in. So I, I don't know, uh, you know, this is aside from the consumer demand, this is like, this is like free money, essentially, that, that Tesla can can just take and run with, uh, with just their current uh, supply that they have um, of, of batteries at a Giga Nevada. So it's exciting times. I'm not sure how much of this is not being baked into in, into EPS. But I'd imagine what would happen is after the earnings call, they probably get some questions asked. Uh, Tesla IR does. Mm -hmm. They answer them. They come back a couple of days later with some with some sort of updated notes on EPS uh, 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 updates for the next fiscal year, and then that's when I imagine a lot of the buying uh, frenzy may occur if they actually seem uh, if if they actually deem to this to be uh, material enough to the bottom line. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Uh, yeah, I happen to think some of it is actually baked in. Um, and, uh, because it's, if you look at Tesla's performance versus some of the other big techs over the last Boy. month or two, uh, mm -hmm. we're doing less worse and <laughs> that might reflect a little bit of a bump that, uh, cause to me, it's almost like Tesla is now being considered, if you look at performance, um, it's at, in the current market, it looks like Tesla is almost a, a, like a quality stock, not a, you know, a speculative growth stock. And it's been, and you know, money's still coming in. There's still mm -hmm. volume, and I can't say that about everything. Everything else, you know, yeah. Facebook, uh, you know, Apple's even is dropping considerably. Yeah. So I think there may be some support that's come in based upon all those factors. It would be great in an up market to really be able to see that, but you know. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure how much of this is window dressing even to end the quarter. We got a couple of weeks here left, so I'm not sure because Tesla's outperformed almost every other stock in the Nasdaq, I believe, off the top of my head this quarter. So it, it would make sense for them to to start window dressing in the in the next couple of weeks, especially. But you're right. I mean, these hedge funds, these portfolio managers, have they spend millions of dollars on consultants, right, to read these bills, go on, uh, you know, go to Congress, ask questions, find out everything that needs to be you know read with all this stuff. So. Yeah, I mean, presumably in a free market, they would already have known all this uh, way before us retail folk. So real quick, guys, is it, we're talking about Tesla's outperformance versus the rest of the market. So I, if I pull up the NASDAQ index, it's down 15% last six months. 
Tesla's up 7% last six months. So that's a 22% essentially uh, overperformance versus the NASDAQ. Um, if I do, I don't know, let's just use Apple, which is one of the what all time value stocks, right? Uh, yeah. Apple in the last six months, down 6%. Tesla's up 6%. So 12% Delta um, do, in the market. Do year to date. Uh, do year to date if you can. Yeah. So Apple down 18%, Tesla down 25%. Okay. Yeah. So Dude, why are you not using Yahoo Finance? Bro, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually like Google Finance quite a bit. I like it. Yeah. I just like so being that, able to do the comparisons really easily where you can put them both on there side by side and change all your time. You can do that on yeah, you can do that on Google Finance. I think if you scroll if you scroll down to the whatever, you can add in a comparison. Okay. It's okay. We don't have to give you a tutorial yeah. live on screen. Why not? Yeah. This is but <laughs> this is not a tutorial stream. <laughs> Go ahead. But you're right. It may it makes sense. Tesla is is still out like it's hard to outperform Apple considering how low their beta is. Tesla is just going to be more volatile of a stock. But you're right. In the last especially like month and a half, two months, it's been it's been kind of a steady eddy. Tesla, like even down today, like uh, Tesla's down 1.3 percent on the day. Let me actually pull up the Nasdaq. Nasdaq's down 1.5 percent. So yeah. So on a regular Tesla day, Tesla would probably be down closer to three percent. So. We're just kind of in line, so yeah. So it's it's hard to tell. It's hard to discern which which variables right. are causing this. Sorry, my dogs are like my wife uh, left uh, to do something, and my dogs are just going crazy out there. I don't even know what the hell they're doing. Sorry. Um, uh, sorry, Yashu. I, I just got so like no no no. <laughs> I'm just saying. My apologies. Like, it's it's just hard to discern, but. Regardless, whatever variables are affecting Tesla, it, it's it's affecting in a good way that we're not seeing these massive drawdown days. And then even on up days, like we're actually seeing the beta in effect on the updates. Mm -hmm. Like if, if Nasdaq's up one percent, Tesla's up two. But if Nasdaq's down one percent, Tesla's up down like one ish percent. So we're seeing some relative strength both on the up and down days. Gotcha. I think one of your yeah. dogs just ran into my office. <laughs> <laughs> I believe it. I was gonna, actually going to go grab him uh, here. Like, Bring him on stream. Like, Bring him on stream. Ago. I was trying. He's a chihuahua, though. He's a freaking, he just runs. He's oh, always yeah. running around. Um, real quick question here. Uh, what about institutional money that can't act on any of the information until they get raided? What happens when they get raided and these bills fully get into the media at the same time? Yeah, I mean, we, we briefly covered this uh, uh, during the stream. I know this is something that's been talked about. Alexander's mm -hmm. been talking about this uh, quite a bit. That's sort of the big question is like, what is the market? You have a lot of coalescing catalysts that are happening here in the next uh, couple months, theoretically. Uh, Tesla's going to show out on cash flow generation. You have investment grade coming in. You have the realization of this bill, uh, the IRA, the in Inflation Reduction Act, giving Tesla the ability to generate billions of dollars of cash as early as Q1 of next year, if I'm not mistaken, right? That's when the bill kicks in. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. I, think, yep. I think that's right. Um, Richard, you were talking about... Uh, before the stream, I think it was that there were still some rules that would have to be defined as sort of this bill enters into. Oh yeah. Uh, in, so can I, can you walk us through that? Because that I'm so yeah. bad at that stuff. I would yeah, love to get your insight. Because it's you know they they create the bill, and it's very general language, and then it's subject to interpretation. So it there'll be examples and situations that will arise. Somebody will assert a credit or something. And then the government or someone else will oppose it. They'll either resolve that or there'll be some litigation over it. And that issue will be resolved 
and then the regulation will be interpreted and there'll be some interpretation. That's kind of like true of, of, of any of these laws because if you see these bills, you know, it's like a thousand page bill. You know, one, who's read it? And two, most of the language is not really thought. Nobody's really thinking about the language. It's mostly boilerplate and it, you can't anticipate every circumstance. So it's kind of almost like every law regulation ultimately subject to interpretation. And it's not really, uh, until something makes it to an appellate court, it's at least in the United States, it's not officially law. So you know, if I go to a trial and I get a result, that's the result of the trial, but it doesn't become the law of the land. Once it goes up to the next level, it becomes the law of that particular area. Uh, you know, let's say in California, if I'm in the state of California, there is a federal court that controls basically the West Coast. So let's say I have a case in the federal court, it's decided, it then goes to the court of appeal. If it's decided by the court of appeal, then it becomes the law of that area. And then to become the law of the land, it would have to go to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court would have to rule on it, and then it would become the law of land. Otherwise, you have a bunch, of, and this is how in reality it works, you have a bunch of jurisdiction and areas that may have same laws or different laws, but interpret them differently, and it makes it a, a big challenge. Got it. So that'll be the same as to the, the tax credits. I'm sure there will be litigation about the legitimate legitimacy of giving the credits at all. Um, uh, I, I'm sure there will be a lot of litigation like anything mm -hmm. else. So I'm, I'm going to try to like walk through this. For those that are not familiar, Richard has a has a law background. He's a he's a practicing lawyer. I'm guessing you're still are you still practicing yeah. or yeah yeah. Um, so this is his wheelhouse. I but I'm going to really learn about the logistics of it. So Q1 2023 comes in. Theoretically, this I think this bill says starting in that period, companies should be able to take advantage of the credit. So what what happens what needs to happen for tesla to be able to realize that cash on its balance sheet do they have to like uh submit a form that says this is how much we sent and then it goes through that approval process well i guess and I, you know i don't know but my guess is the irs will issue some type of regulations or uh, guidelines and will say if you fit within these guidelines you're able to take the credit they'll uh, they'll create a new form 107BQ. You'll file that whenever you need to file it. And then, mm -hmm. you know, you'll assert whatever you're entitled to and they'll have the right to come back and, and contest the, any portion they think you're not entitled to. And then there, you know, if it's a tax issue, there's like a tax court, you can take it through. Uh, but there might be constitutional issues related to the ability to provide the credit uh, because there's usually... You know, there's usually people in Congress that are going to oppose something, and it depends how vociferously they oppose it, depends how much power they have it, but they might create it, say it's unconstitutional, and take it to a federal court, which is kind of another line of, of attack. Mm -hmm. Okay. Does the IRS, so, so, so then this really wouldn't be filed by, the, the form wouldn't be created for Tesla to file, say, until the first or second quarter of the following year, right? Because that's when they're able to take advantage of the credit in my head, right? It, Something like it, Well, that's going to be an issue, too, because the IRS okay. is probably operating at low capacity personnel-wise. And this is mm -hmm. probably a complicated task. And it's whenever they get the guidelines and regulations done. Hopefully, they can do it before the end of the year, but there's no Got guarantee it. they will. Mm -hmm. 
Yep. Interesting. So, so, and you're uh, not going to have to theoretically it wouldn't come up really to the following year anyway, your next tax mm -hmm. return. So yeah. they really wouldn't have to have it finalized until sometime in 2023. Okay. Yeah, I wish that we had um, Bradford here to weigh in on this because my understanding from him was that the uh, at least the the battery manufacturing credits and i don't know if this also applies to the $7,500 vehicle credits but at least for the battery manufacturing credits where you've got the $35 per kilowatt kilowatt hour of battery cells and then $10 per kilowatt hour of uh pack assembly um, that those are they just basically reduce your tax liability and there's a cap on how much of your tax liability that they can reduce it it's only like uh, one quarter of your overall tax liability. And so, you know, if it, it looks like Tesla is going to be generating more than enough profits to utilize almost all of the, the right. credits that they generate, but you know, there is a world in which they just go so ham on cell production that they actually end up getting capped out on being able to take those tax credits. And so it doesn't all flow through to the bottom line, at least not in that year. He said that you can potentially roll those forward into future years for a future tax liability. But I mean, if this bill is in place until 2030, that's a long time that you've got that in place. So let me ask you a real quick question, Han. So what you're saying is if, if Tesla, so it works like a, so it's a, it's a, tax liability reduction is not necessarily a tax credit. So if Tesla say end of 2023, they have a tax liability of, I don't know, $10 billion or $5 mm -hmm. billion, and they're able to generate credits in excess of 5 uh, billion, they can only recognize 5 billion, right? Is, is that the way you're describing it? Is that correct? Or is that incorrect? Yeah, so, so if, if they had a taxable income of, well, I'm not, so I'm not sure. This is where, yeah, like I said, I wish okay. that Bradford I was, was here. And I, I think it was 25%. Yeah. And okay. I think that, um, I think there are certain things in the bill that are eligible for direct payment to, like magic. hey, there we go. <laughs> this is what we need. We're talking Get about the you, real Bradford. expert in here. <laughs> Can you hear us? Pick his mic. I just, I just throw people in, poor guy. Go ahead, Hans, keep talking. Maybe. <laughs> so anyways, yeah. yeah, I know there were certain uh, parts of the bill that were eligible for direct payments in cash from the federal government to either uh, auto manufacturers or potentially cell manufacturers. Um, but then there are other ones that are basically just tax credits. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, I'm sure he'll be back. I think he's messing with his uh, sound setting <laughs> to make sure he yep. gets it. Yeah. Um, but okay, even if so there was sorry. a carryover, you were saying that the bill ends, I think it's 2032, it, it, the credit would expire. But well, I was just saying that, you know, rolling it forward, if you're, you know, if you're generating excess credits that are more than you can use in one year, well, you're probably going to also do that in the next year. So, it, like, you could potentially have a number of years worth of credits that are all just kind of snowball piling up. Right. I think they're currently using, aren't they using a, a, a loss forward now from their early manufacturing? I think they're yes. currently using that. And so maybe it's just like a financial planning. It'll just run for the next 25 years, even if it's a carryover. And then we'll get the people that say Tesla hasn't paid taxes. And 
Interesting. Um, yeah, I'm waiting for uh, Bradford to come in so we can uh, throw him back into the chat. Yeah, this is all very interesting. Like it's a brand new dimension that has opened up for this company in the last, like what seems like last couple of weeks that it almost went from like this would never exist to this could exist, but for uh, the $7,500 tax credit to, ah, no, it's not going to happen because Manchin says no. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> it's like way more than we thought any of this could do. Mm -hmm. Like not even just from a demand perspective. You got, and we're not even talking about the freaking demand lever that the $7,500 mm -hmm. tax credit is going to do. Yeah. Like what is going on? This seems like, this seems like we're about to enter a period that's going to. It's basically know. Christmas. And like the, the overall size of the IRA compared to the Build Back Better plan, it's like over 90% reduction in the size of the Build Back Better plan. And then it's like even more beneficial to EVs and EV adoption than the Build Back Better plan would have been. So it's pretty crazy. And um, to the and to the extent that if it's true that they removed a bunch of battery equipment from Berlin and they rushed it back to the U.S., that would be significant of what their opinion was about the how valuable that battery uh, is. Yes. Yeah, it almost seems like it almost seems like they went back to the drawing board and were like, "How can we? How can we bail out Legacy Auto even more?" Like, and to a degree, like it all it. It, it actually is in the best interest for the acceleration. Like these guys are going mm -hmm. to need all of the credits yeah. that they can possibly get to make batteries at a, a domestically at, a, you know, even at a break even, right? So it's going to mm -hmm. cost a lot of money. So, yeah. Yeah. And that's, I think you're exactly right, Yasha. I think that the, you know, for the majority, this is a bill that is in, created to help preserve Ford and GM. Um, but it's going to have the, whether intended or unintended, the side effect of actually being more of a tailwind to Tesla than either of those two come like it might help Ford and GM survive and it's gonna make Tesla, you know, a runaway winner yep. that we've never seen the likes of before. Maybe yeah, Tesla right. becomes the battery battery supplier for both Ford and GM and keeps them alive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Bradford, can That's you hear us okay, sir? He's on mute, but yeah. Yes, I can. Perfect. Yay. We got you. Okay. So, uh, just like the, uh, magic fairy where we're saying your name and then you just happened to come on, which was amazing. So I'm very happy about that. Uh, so we're talking about the sort of the, the logistics of how the IRA is going to become a reality for Tesla to capitalize on in the coming quarters. And we had some questions around, um, sort of, uh, how Tesla can take advantage of the, of the tax credit and, and sort of the mechanics behind it. Can you just perhaps for the audience, uh, give us a little bit of, and you've done so much work on this, by the way, if yes. you don't follow uh, Bradford Ferguson, please. What are you doing please. with your life? <laughs> yeah. What are you doing with your life? One. And then two, please go to Twitter and follow this, this very handsome young man right here at Bradford, Brad, Brad Ferguson. All right. Um, so maybe get us up to speed on the latest you've learned about the bill so far. I'm going to step away for 30 seconds because my dogs are doing something weird downstairs, but go ahead, Bradford, and give us a little bit of a rundown. and I'll be back in a few seconds. Yeah, sure. Sure. So the inflation reduction act gives Tesla $45 per kilowatt hour, uh, for, uh, making battery cells and battery modules, 35 for the cells, 10 for the modules. Um, so at, at a bare minimum, starting January 1st from Gigafactory, Nevada, um, they should 
uh, be able to get the tax credits for the, the full output of Gigafactory Nevada. The 2020 agreement between Tesla and Panasonic says that Tesla gets all the tax credits from the uh, from the product of that factory. This is pretty standard for a partnership um, supplier agreement where the customer gets uh, tax credits and other t- uh, financial benefits that are ancillary. So that's pretty typical in these big agreements. Um, and I don't think Wall Street knows about this yet or has figured it out. <laughs> Said a little mini rant about it Wednesday night. And Yashu did a great job covering that. Um, and uh, Tesla also is uh, quickly going to be um, ramping Lathrop. So they should get a, the $10 per kilowatt hour on the modules for that. Um and that may ramp to 40 gigawatt hours. So that would be $400 million. Um, grand scheme of things, how big Tesla's financials, I think we all believe are going to get. Uh, this might be minor money, but it's definitely moving the needle enough to even change Tesla's behavior. Uh, mm-hmm. We're seeing that, you know, they're, they're taking machinery that they intend to put in Giga Berlin and redirecting that to Texas to try and speed what they're doing in Texas because um, Germany is not giving them any money to make the batteries in Germany. So $45 per kilowatt hour is very significant. It's um, almost half of the cost on the batteries. So Tesla is going to be happy to make them in the U S and ship them to Germany. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's a big deal. And there's a bunch of other things like building out solar and, a battery storage, things like that for the big utility scale projects that gives the buyers of that a, a big incentive to make those investments. Tesla may even be motivated to put more batteries and solar at their superchargers and uh, be able to get a, a significant discount for that. No? So one of the specific questions that we had on that was, do you understand the mechanics? Like, are these tax credits that... Um, potentially they could get cash from the government for or which ones are which ones aren't um and then which ones just really offset their tax liabilities yeah so tax credit is better than a direct payment and the items that they would get a tax credit on would be uh, making of the battery cells and modules and any um any of the tax credits for making of the cathode or refining the lithium um, so they, they have the cathode factory going up in, mm-hmm. in uh, Giga, Texas. They would get a 10% tax credit for their cost of making the cathode there. If they make a lithium refinery in, in Texas somewhere, they would get a 10% uh, cost reduction for that as well, tax credit. And um, for all those items, they can elect to receive those as a direct payment because all those fall under the advanced um, manufacturing um, production manufacturing credit or <laughs> whatever it's called. So those being the the thirty five dollars for the cells and the ten dollars for the the modules. <laughs> the modules. Yeah. So those are actual direct payment. Those can be, they can elect for direct payment. Yeah. And that's like a four or five year period that they can start doing that. Yeah. Wow. 
So in in one of the Biden bills, didn't the uh, minimum corporate tax rate go to 15 percent? Yeah, it did. But there's a um, I'm not a tax attorney <laughs> and I did do a space on this with uh, Matt Smith of Good Soil Investment. Mm-hmm. Um, there, let me point you to it. So there's a website, VELaw.com. And they have an article called Inflation Reduction Act of 2022 Corporate Alternative Minimum Tax. And basically on the on these advanced credits, what it um, allows is that you can use, um, let's say the alternative minimum tax says your tax is going to be $2 billion, that that's a tax owed. Um, you can offset 75% of that with these advanced manufacturing things. Is it this website, Bradford, or is this something else? Am I VE yep. Law? Okay. Yeah. Is it, and the, is it under the news? title of the article? Yeah. That's my site. <laughs> Probably under news. <laughs> for that, if you go back to the home, news, maybe. Maybe insights then at the top. There we is. can put the link in the description. Yeah, there it is. We can put the link in the description. Yeah. So basically, if, if Tesla does have that 15% alternative minimum corporate tax, um, they can get it down to uh, 3.75 potentially by using these advanced uh, manufacturing credits. So, so it's wow. it's um, it's offsetting that. So. It's- it's it's hard, Bradford, to put this to, on the EPS line, right? Like I, I originally was thinking, like, okay, <laughs> one point five billion, three billion shares outstanding. That's fifty percent. That fifty cents EPS next fiscal yeah. year. But it's not that simple. So it's it's I guess it's it's hard to get super excited about it. But it is going to be a material thing over the over the yeah. next eight years, let's say, right? Yeah. So let's think about Giga Texas. So. Um, you know, it was thought that as Tesla has to scale Model Y and and they go to half a million cars per year that they would have to lower prices. But now that there's this vehicle credit as well, uh, the potentially qualifying for up to 7,500 per vehicle, they may not have to reduce prices. Mm-hmm. So Tesla's going to be able to hold firm on the top line, which is the revenue. Um, and then on the cost level, they're their um, their battery costs are going to go way down, so their costs are going to drop down. Um, so it's it's going to help there. Mm-hmm. And it, if you think conservatively about Model Y, like before any of this, the gross margin is thirty percent. Um, so we'll we'll do a little napkin math, a little mathawana here. Um, <laughs> so we take a sixty thousand dollar car, five hundred thousand. Um, vehicles, I believe that's $30 billion. And that if you multiply that by a gross margin of 30%, that's $9, mil- $9 billion in gross profit from that factory. Um, so, you know, that would, that would potentially cause, like if for a normal corporation, you know, 20, 25% tax rate, I'm, I'm not an accountant. Um, so that would be like 1.8 uh, billion dollars in tax. Okay. So uh, this is helping them offset some tax. Um, for for me, I, my Tesla model, I kind of have them paying like 20% corporate tax, which is it's actually 
that's a, a high level and conservative. So it, like for Matt Smith, he, he had Tesla not paying any tax in the U.S. for a long time because mm-hmm. they have these things called loss carry forwards. Right. And they're technically called uh, net, net operating losses or NOLs that they can already use to offset tax. So this is why some people are like, well, I don't know. But like it, this is just, it's just solidifying the investment in the battery space and and minerals and refining. Um, And I think, you know, solidifying supply, um, not just for Tesla, but also, you know, GM, Ford, even Honda, who um, we're not sure if they're even making EVs. Um, you know, they're looking at a battery factory in the U.S. So, like, look at what people are doing and planning, and that's a big deal. And Tesla's literally taking machinery from Germany and moving it over Texas. Um, they still may make some batteries in Germany, but they kind of put that on pause. Go ahead, first yeah, I think about no, I appreciate that. Think about the scale of that statement you just made. They're taking machinery from Germany and moving it to the United States to take advantage of this mm-hmm. bill. So that should put within context just how large of an opportunity this yeah. is for a company like Tesla. I mean, they'll they'll pull any levers they can to maximize what they're trying to do, but moving machinery from one country to another is not cheap. <laughs> no. It's really expensive. So yeah. I think that And it's not just the cost of moving it. You gotta Re-engineer everything. Uninstall, and reinstall, things. exactly. And it's not Realign just the cost. Things. Yeah, it's not just the cost and difficulty. It's it's uh, time. Just pulling the trigger. Yeah, pulling the trigger on yeah. it right away. Who who does that? You know, that's yeah. difficult to get a decision a decision maker to make a decision right away. And what also got me fired up about it is like, when have we seen Panasonic act aggressively? Tesla's had to beg and plead them plead with them to grow their battery capacity a gig in Nevada. All, t- all Panasonic would do in response is increase things by like 10% over the next two or three years, you know? And now yeah. suddenly Panasonic decides on Kansas over Oklahoma. And then they're like, uh, th- then this legislation passes. <laughs> then Panasonic's like, okay, we're going to do another 4 billion factory in Oklahoma. So it's like, look at the actions of, what they're doing. It's a, this is a big deal. And, um, I think it's going to lead to a lot of investment. It's almost like a renaissance of manufacturing in the United States. You know, it it seems like the beginnings of that, at least Hans, go ahead. Mm -hmm. Well, I was going to say the, you know, I mentioned this earlier, but also the timing on the announcement about creating a lithium refining plant by Tesla here. It's like, we've known the Tesla community has known for a while that this is something that we're probably going to need to do in order to have the cell supply that we need in, you know, 2025 and 2026. And then the bill gets passed and we hear about, okay, we're doing it right now. Like Mm. that didn't, that seems like this is probably something that's been in the works for a while. Um, Yeah, I I thought that was also another one of those things, Bradford, like you mentioned with Panasonic, that's just a signal about the actions that companies are taking to go ahead and take advantage of this. And there are there is like a I'd call a cold economic war between the U.S. and China, and they're doing this in semiconductors. But also China has shown recently that they're not like the best environment to be in. Like they 
They've tremendously supported Tesla and they help things move quickly, but mm -hmm. they're willing to do these hardcore uh, shutdowns. And right. um, you know they've had issues with electricity, and then uh, they'll you know let industry get screwed by that. Um, so I think if you're a business, you're you're questioning your reliance on China for things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, and, and that's a, con that seems to be like a rolling continuing thing because it's mm -hmm. not really advancing in any really meaningful way. So it doesn't change the circumstance. Although one thing I heard today that I thought might be a good news is that Moderna is in discussions with China to provide uh, the Moderna vaccine. And um, I think one of the deficiencies in China is their vaccine is not as good as the Moderna or Pfizer. So, Maybe that's uh, potentially good things. Down home. Yeah. I think like things with China blow over. Um, the U.S. Navy, they they drove their fleet directly between China and Taiwan. And Japan <laughs> flew like a huge bomber formation in between. And China didn't do anything. Like I, I don't think there's going to be a war. Um, anything could happen. But um, I, I think... I, I'm hopeful that things like cool down. <laughs> well, I think also it might change dramatically once um, Xi is uh, reelected for a life term. I think it's mm -hmm. like they have some kind of Congress. I forgot what it's yeah. called, but it's coming up October, November, whatever. And he basically he'll be president forever. And maybe after that happens, he'll there'll be less of a need to, you know, mm. uh, look tough or, you know, uh, be bombastic. I'm hoping it might be the opposite too, but I'm hoping that's the, uh, the outcome. Yeah. yeah. A couple of questions that come to mind. So, and, and I apologize if this was covered, uh, while I was uh, letting my dog out, she was like dying to go out here. Um, the, uh, the semantics or the, uh, how the, uh, the savings of that battery portion of the IRA, uh, is going to flow to Tesla's statements, is it going to show up in margin as a as a reduction in COGS, or is it going to be uh, basically cash flow? Or I guess it's deferred. You said it's going to be deferred, right? Just I just want to make sure I understand how it's going to show up on the statements once these uh, savings kick in. I don't know if Bradford you covered that earlier. That's actually you, a good question. So I, um, yeah. I should ask my CFO friends about that. But yeah, it could. It, could potentially come off of COGS, but I, I think mainly where I'm anticipating it is on the net margin line. So you have a gross margin, which is where they are um, making the product and selling the product. And then you have other things and then you got taxes and stuff like that. I think it's just going to help that tax number stay low. So where I see it happening on this sheet is like uh, after the operating PL. margin. Yeah, like like you have the net income or the net margin. So it's more like the income line is where I see it happening and in net income. It's got a but it, it's possible that Tesla will kind of like charge itself for its own batteries, like when they start making the 4680 um, and take it off that way. Um, I'd, I'd love to know. I, I've asked. Tesla questions about this, but they've been pretty quiet. Okay. And then the other question that comes to mind is how does how does Master Plan Part Three change because of this bill? I, and I wonder if if sort of Elon, um, he's been saying a, a couple months for uh, like a few months 
So I'm wondering if this was in the works and then the how master plan three is going to be executed is was highly dependent on where this bill was going to end up. And maybe he had an inkling of where it was going because, you know, I don't know. I don't know if you guys have thought about that at all, but I'm curious if. Can I go first on that? Of course. I know I've been talking. Right, you a go lot last, Bradford. You go last. I'm just kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> so I think about, you know, when JB and Elon met and were considering uh, Giga Nevada or what became Giga Nevada and they figured out how much lithium do we need? How much batteries do we need? And this is like a gigantic number. And then they figured out, okay, well, we need to make the biggest battery factory in the world bigger than all the batteries combined. And um, that strategy ended up working. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think Elon will be emboldened by this and just figure out, okay, how, if Tesla needs to get the three terawatt hours or whatever for batteries, um, what's all that math look like? And how, how does Tesla need to get there? Um, who do they need to bring along? Or are there miners or refiners that Tesla can kind of prepay or incentivize to like make the investment now and not be scaredy cats? Mm-hmm. Or does Tesla need to, you know, what portion does Tesla need to do? Elon said it's all about um, scale. He had some adjective to it. I'm forgetting what it was. That master plan part three is not all about like gigantic scale. Mm-hmm. So I, I think he'll be emboldened by that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I think there's no doubt. Like Elon is definitely privy to so many things that we find out months later, and then you have to go back yes. and connect the dots in terms of what he was talking about. Um, I guess you're implying for us a little bit that like Elon was almost waiting a little bit for this bill to be passed, come to come, you know, come public. And then he talks about his master plan. It makes more sense. Master plan is all about scale, 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 like that no one's ever seen in in, uh, in the history of humanity. I think that's kind of the paraphrase quote that he has. So, yeah, I mean, it's hard not to see how this doesn't fit into that. I'm curious to see what other adjacent parts are also um you know in that in that master plan but i mean look subsidy like these these kind of these tax credits are awesome and i hope by the way that this actually helps a lot of the legacy ev uh, legacy auto companies actually start incentivizing them to produce evs because and i've said this so many times i think the biggest risk to tesla is no competition in five years if there's no competition for evs like that's what i'm really scared about as a as a as a as a market capitalist as a free market person is like no competition for tesla because then that's how you get complacency i don't care who's running the company it's just hard to fight against mm-hmm. that sort of stuff so um yeah i mean i'd be curious to hear your guys' thoughts as well i think two elements of master plan three are one They'll buy the baseball team in Orange County and they will call them <laughs> the Tesla Angels. And to ultimately to expand the workforce, ultimately, I don't know when this will be, but I think the bots will be a integral part of the future Tesla workforce. It'll reduce labor costs dramatically and will increase margins dramatically. And I think somehow in accomplishing whatever the grand scheme is, that will be a major element. And in terms of whether he modified it recently to fit the the change in proposals, I'm sure he did, but I'm sure also Master Plan 3 has probably been in the works for the past 50 years in some fashion. 
And it's just bringing it up to date and making changes and being flexible. Hans, what do you think? Yeah, I would agree with that. And, you know, when he says massive scale, it it has to be global. And so whatever we do here in the United States will factor into that, but it will only be a portion of that. And so, you know, we've already seen the way that they have just pushed on cell supply global. They are working with everyone. And this is one of the things that Warren loves to talk about, just how basically they'll they'll buy batteries from anyone who will sell them batteries and they'll put them in whatever products they need to. Um and and that also helps them just to de-risk their supply chain because every different cell manufacturer has a different supply chain. And so Tesla can leverage the entire global cell supply chain by buying from every single cell manufacturer. Um, and then they're not as limited by, you know, say if they wanted to go to Albemarle and say, hey, like we want all your lithium Albemarle's going to be like, no, you can't have all our lithium. We don't want to sell them all to one company unless you buy us, which, you know, they might also be able to do. Um, <clears throat> but when they're Tesla is a secondary customer of Albemarle because, okay, Albemarle is selling it to LG chem. They're selling it to Samsung. They're selling it to CATL. They're selling it to BYD. And then Tesla's buying the batteries from them. They, basically have all of Albemarle's lithium supply. They're just not the first customer. They might be the second customer. Um, and so we'll see, yeah, how does that change going forward with Master Plan Part 3? I really hope that we do see... Um, my biggest questions still are around raw materials. Um, one lithium refining factory is not going to solve the raw material bottlenecks. And so that's the biggest thing that I'm looking for in master plan part three is, okay, what are the steps that are going to be taken? And I mean, one delay could be the inflation reduction act. Now that that's out there, maybe we may see master plan part three sooner, but it could also be that there was some back room deals and negotiations that needed to be completed that before he announces to the world how he's going to scale the raw material supply chain, he probably needs to finish cutting all his deals that might hinge, you know, that releasing that information might change the way that the negotiation goes. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll see how all that plays out. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I do wonder though, along the points of what you just described as Tesla's you were talking about how Tesla needs a essentially an army of suppliers to give him as many batteries as they want, something that, that Warren has been talking about. It feels like this bill, once uh, these battery manufacturers are up and running in the US, is gonna create a pretty gigantic forcing function for companies to not want to buy batteries from companies that aren't taking advantage of this credit because of how significant the savings are. So is it gonna yeah. create a shortage again of supply because of or, or is it just going to uh, like? It feels like we're we're going to go into another cliff, <laughs> into another uh, yeah, into another cliff where there's not going to be enough supply available because of how it's going to take a while for these guys to move to the U.S. Unless other countries decide to subsidize their uh, battery manufacturing at the same levels as the U.S., which maybe that's what this forces, you know. Um, that's I think you have, that good, my mind. you have some good instinct there. Like whenever you throw a bunch of money at an issue. The prices tend to go up. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that could happen. 
<laughs> and it definitely yeah. distorts markets too, like yeah. massively. Yeah, I would. Uh, I'd agree with uh, Borgand. Is um, I think the bot is definitely going to help with scale. I I really hope that Tesla focuses in on the factory bot just to help them be able to scale each location and um, not be as dependent on people moving to an area or whatever. Um, I think with, you know, negotiating those contracts, Hans, I, I think Tesla can get creative. Uh, possibly they can put uh, like $2 billion in escrow or something like that. Say, Hey, um, you know, as, as we get more cash flow, we're going to get put more and more in escrow and um, you need to build this out for us and it's going to be for us. Um, so I, I think there's way and it could be in a, you know, a special account that Tesla can't touch except under certain certain circumstances. Mm -hmm. Like if if um, Albemarle doesn't hold up their end of the deal. So, so I, I'm optimistic that some like some of these industry old ways of doing things um, may move out of the way maybe solved mm -hmm. yeah i i maybe. think you know like i was going to say master plan whatever what i'm waiting for and i don't know if it's going to be in my lifetime but he's going to come out with the substitute for storing energy because i've been alive 63 years and when i was a little kid they had batteries and they still have batteries and to me that's not a great you know compared to other technology i didn't quite doesn't quite live up to it. It's to me like commercial airlines. When I was a kid, they flew like they did today, except it doesn't. It didn't suck as much as it does today. But I would think like at some point in time, there'll be a new way of storing energy and it'll replace batteries and be much more efficient. And that will be the big leap forward. Interesting. Yeah, I like that thought. It, I guess it would be it would be some form of energy, maybe not battery in this in the sense that we're talking about where you need an anode and a cathode and something in the middle to sort of store it, so on and so forth. But it was a different way of um, there was something. OK, I listened to Joe Rogan from time to time because he's he's <laughs> hilarious. And uh, they had he had Eddie Bravo on, who's like a crazy conspiracy theorist or something. But there was something about like bricks being able to store energy or something. That's where my head goes to when you say that's like, can we utilize existing materials to like uh, to be able to do that. Anyway, that's that's just a tangent. <laughs> I was thinking oh, Reese's yeah. peanut butter cups, storing it in Reese's peanut okay, butter. Yeah, that would be even better. Yeah. Well, lithium is uh, uh, not anatomically, but atom-wise, atom it's the smallest metal. And it also gives up its ion or whatever the most freely, as far as I understand. And, you know, they're talking about sodium batteries because of how expensive lithium is. But lithium's really the best that there is. And I, I, I don't think there's going to be like a new um, atom that's smaller than lithium. Um, I think there could be some some ways to store energy for sure. But it, it's not going to be smaller than a lithium battery. Mm -hmm. I don't think, unless you like yeah. somehow did it in diamonds, but like, or I don't know, something weird like that. But diamonds are pretty expensive. Yeah. Um, <laughs> another another thing I wanted to quickly hit on this, since this topic of the IRA and sort of how it's how it's becoming a force and function for uh, U.S. manufacturing and for battery suppliers to come here and. 
theoretically, and we talked about it as well, it should be a forcing function for legacy auto to really and truly go hardcore into uh, EV manufacturing. I wonder if there's going to be a tone shift. It already kind of started, right? You had all those EV commercials during the Super Bowl this year, and which helped Tesla sort of, (laughs) yeah, that's what happens. Somebody else markets, Tesla goes up. So, but I wonder if, if the confirmation of this, of this thing, like the chasm has been crossed, but we're talking about the S curve, right? The S curve, where is the S curve going to kick in? I wonder if the vertical starts once in the next few quarters here, once this thing starts to take hold and then Honda, Toyota, uh, all these other automakers that have been very slow in making this transition, start this mass marketing campaign that we'll see everywhere about, look at us, we're electric now. Because um, mm-hmm. I always try to think about the, con- like I, my head always goes to culture when I think about uh, Tesla's impact. And I've been following the, co- the freaking company for so long that that's where my head goes to. How's it impacting culture? Mm-hmm. And and how does it relate to where it is on its trajectory to its <laughs> total world domination? Once we see Honda and Toyota commercials coming out, is that the vertical of the S-curve? And is it the confirmation that where we're going has truly and earnestly begun. And now it's a trend that if you don't hop on, you're literally screwed. Like, and I don't know if we're there yet, but that's where my head goes. Like this bill to this point, I still can't believe just how impactful this bill is. It truly blows my mind. And we're talking about it before Bradford, you came on. It was almost by accident on how it's impacting Tesla so positively, Mm -hmm. you know, with the narrative that we get from the U.S. government is like they, you know, they omit Tesla from conversations. Elon and the Democratic government are not playing really nice. And this bill comes along and it's this just incredible (laughs) boon to it's nuts. It's completely nuts. But Um, Ford's new Mustang, the one they just introduced, is not electric. Yeah, what a... They just was, introduced it. Like, uh, seemed like it'd be a complete, complete whiff, in my opinion. But it's you know they think that's one of their popular models, and they make it not electric. That didn't seem to sh- show a lot of foresight. Well, may- maybe they're uh, maybe they made it for people who are still fighting it. You know. <laughs> oh, I'm sure you're right. I'm sure you're right. Yeah. I think the entree to this Farzad, as far as it becoming even more popularized, is um, Legacy's ready to make hybrids and ready to make them in scale. And and so they may say we're electrifying, but it's it's hybrids. Mm. And they may do this thing with hybrids and leases where um, you... I think that at a certain point you could get a Nissan Leaf for like a hundred bucks a month <laughs> or, or less, like in Georgia, the state of Georgia. I mean, they you a hundred bucks a month, I believe. <laughs> wow. Um, so we may, I think that's what we see first, but I, I think one reason why mm-hmm. Jim Farley, when he was at Monroe, it really disappointed me. Like he didn't communicate a vision he didn't say why they're doing it. They just said, you know, we're doing this. And I think there's a reason they don't say why is because they're not ready to make a million EVs yet. Mm-hmm. So I think mm-hmm. as as these other players uh, scale up their factories to make pure EVs, then I think they'll start to sell the public on it. I see. Yeah. So the thing that I think about is there's no existence proof for a legacy OEM converting to all EV. 
Tesla is the only successful EV company in existence, period, bar none. I don't think it's possible without the, I mean, just think about how hard, like how close to death Tesla came so many times. I don't think it's possible for legacy auto manufacturers who are not agile. I mean, we've all heard Joe Justice talk about it. There, I've been seeing people, you know, mentioning Joe Justice in the comments here. Like, without Tesla's culture, I don't think it's possible to make EVs profitably. I mean, these are companies that they can't even make a profit on gas cars. As a legacy now, automaker. As a legacy right? automaker. Yeah. Like, you know, if you only make six, seven percent margin on your existing ICE fleet, how can you transition to a more expensive for you? personally to produce ice car or I mean EV car you know we know that Tesla can make an EV cheaper than you can make an ice car but you can't make an EV cheaper than you can make an ice car I still just don't I don't see how these companies are going to survive I think the the IRA helps but I don't know that it's enough and so you know when you're saying we're going to see it, it, it. We're definitely going to see marketing. People are going to try. Um, you might honestly see the marketing campaign and then watch the company blow up within a year or two years of each other. Um, and so it's going to be a very interesting roller coaster. Yeah. yeah. You I know, the only it, other company that makes any money, and I don't, I think they make like peanuts, but BYD makes some money selling but they sell as many hybrids as they do mm -hmm. evs but they actually are making a profit on their evs it's really small but i think that's the only <sighs> other company that actually is generating a profit in the sale mm -hmm. of ev cars which is pretty amazing i think yeah yeah i have a certain date i can't i can't pinpoint it exactly but it's around an event that i think will everything will shift It'd almost be like, you know how lemmings commit suicide, they just fall off the cliffs and all that stuff. Give us a date, Yashu. Mm -hmm. Give us is this insider trading? Is this insider trading we have to worry about? <laughs> cyber truck release. I think when Ooh. the cyber truck release happens, that's when everything's going to change. Because now all of a sudden, like everyone has, whether you like it or not, we all love Teslas. Everyone has like an EV soy boy myth, like stereotype around people mm -hmm. that drive electric. I think mm -hmm. when the cyber truck comes out, there's a large demographic of owners. I think the like, trucks are 30% of the U.S. car market, new uh, new car market. Like all of a sudden, it's a new pool of investorship. I think it's a new pool of people that think, huh, hold on, hold on. Like EVs aren't just glorified golf carts that are way, you have way better specs than even like luxury supercars do most of the time. Oh, it's actually has utility. I can take it to work. It's actually cheaper. Uh, insurance is better. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, a million other things that I think it'll open up for. So I think what will happen is Legacy Auto, when the Cybertruck does come out, let's say September next year, let's say let's 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 set that date for now or something. I think what we'll start to see is Legacy Auto have kind of this like internal spaz fit where they have to pretty much double down on something that they economically cannot double down on. We know that if if Legacy Auto today could shift their business to keep the same margins, even drop them a little bit lower, but do all electric, they would, but they can't. That's the problem. So I think mm -hmm. Cybertruck might be the forcing mechanism 
that that almost makes these legacy autos kind of uh, fall like lemmings is my guess. Yep. Yep. I agree a hundred percent. I, I would Can say I, at least they're going to visit bankruptcy court at least one more time. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I think uh, Cybertruck's uh, very triggering. Uh, you can't look at the design and say that's for wimps. Um, in downtown cities, it looks super cool. I remember when it was in New York City when Elon went on SNL, and it just looks super sweet with the neon lights and stuff. And just it, yeah. it's like a tank almost. It's like mm -hmm. tanks on the streets. Um, and I think that'll even if people see the Cybertruck and some people have a reaction that they hate it. Um, but they're going to look again at Tesla. Um, it's just going to cause them to look at the other stuff. So I, I, I totally agree with you that I'd be surprised if mm -hmm. it didn't happen around that well, time. And you could definitely see that be like an immediate impact to Ford's business. If the F-150 is the thing that they make all their profit on, and then all of a sudden they even see a 20% reduction in orders that shift over to Cybertruck, mm -hmm. you know, that's very material to their business. That's a big problem. Yeah. Big it's, it's not even the orders, to be honest, Hans. I, I think it's the brand loyalty because, I mean, whether we like it or not, Legacy Auto, have they have a, a lot of brand support. I, I know mm -hmm. people, I like a lot of them are grandparents, to be fair. I'm only going to buy Ford. I'm only going to buy GM. Mm -hmm. Like they love their brand of car. And so whether we like it or not, a lot of, a lot of that's going to get phased out. Cybertruck's going to turn a lot of heads. Uh, and, and at the very least, it's going to bring up a lot of questions at the dinner table between families of different generations. Mm -hmm. that have to say, hold on, like this isn't like this, this EV thing is not what I thought it was. All of a sudden it's shifting. So, you know, when I think Cybertruck's come out, let's say September next year for the next uh, to be honest, I could see this hype going on for the first two years of the Cybertruck mm -hmm. being out on the streets. Like, like in Canada, I'm not expecting any Cybertruck deliveries until like three years past the first delivery or something because I just feel like just flood the U.S. market. That's where mm -hmm. kind of all the Cybertrucks yep. need to be for 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 uh, kind of indefinitely. By the way, don't hate me, Canadian people, for saying that. I just <laughs> think it, I think it makes more sense to just sell it in, in America uh, to begin with. But it's going to be massive. The just, collective. Just the Americans hate you. Don't worry about <laughs> That's it. true. Yeah. That's true. The collective <laughs> what the fuck moment that society is going to experience mm -hmm. is really like being completely misunderstood, I think, by the general public. Bradford, go ahead. Yeah, I just thought of something that's huge is with the cyber truck pre-orders, there's a lot of people who order multiple cyber trucks. And part of it is for potential cyber truck robo taxis. So think about this. If if Tesla does figure out autonomy or gets much closer by the time Cybertruck comes out, those people aren't going to be canceling their orders for their robo Cybertrucks. Um, that that would be a really big deal if, if mm -hmm. the two could kind of combine at the same time. What do you think about that, Hans? Yeah, that's, I'm excited. I'm definitely hoping that FSD, like the existence proof of FSD has already come and gone by the time. And that was what I was gambling on when I made the orders. I was like, this is my option call on FSD mm -hmm. that if it's really, well, that and, and the stock. But um, <clears throat> yeah, if, if it proves out that you can use FSD and that the value is significantly more than the ten or $12,000, wherever it was that you reserved your or eight, even for some people, um, 
reserved your FSD price, then the value of that vehicle, even just for resale, is significantly more. Um, much less, you know, if you can actually operate it as a robo taxi and get an income stream and it can pay for itself. Like there's, I'm sure people right now who are working on a financing package for people who have these cars on order that like, yeah, we're just going to take a percentage of your robo taxi profit. Like, and that's how you're going to finance the 50 cyber trucks that you put on order that you didn't know how you were going to pay for. I was thinking of see, when the, when they're out. I live near LA, and some people think there's traffic here. And I can only imagine, like in the middle of rush hour, being on one of the major freeways with a brand new cyber truck, everybody gawking, and it'd be like the movie Independence Day. Everybody stops their car, gets out, bro. and looks at this alien vehicle. Yeah. Can only imagine. Yeah, yeah. they it's so fundamentally so, different than any other car. <clears throat> they're going to be like driving billboards, like the advertising space on the side of a cyber truck for the first several years is going to be extremely valuable. Like you could probably pay for your cyber truck lease. Just be like, Hey, yeah, whatever company I'm going to slap your logo on the side yeah. here. And <laughs> There'll be an Elon for president uh, billboard. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. and I came across this thought because I wanted to buy them. Um, I was managing a cleaning company for a while. And one of the, divisions of the business was carpet cleaning. And I was like, this would be the best carpet cleaning vehicle that we could get. Like the advertising alone that I would get driving this thing around town. Like I wouldn't have to spend any money on any other customer acquisition or advertising period. Like just driving this thing around town and cleaning people's carpets will be all the advertising that I will need. And then it's a great vehicle, like work vehicle. And so I'm sure, you know, and this is any any small business owner who does a service business, a construction company, a plumber, an electrician, like all these people, there will be the first guy in each city who does it, who buys it, who gets it. And he's going to get all of the value of having that vehicle be his work vehicle. That's his advertising vehicle. You know, you could have cyber steamer carpet cleaning company and, like the marketing value in that is going to be incredible for, you know, a select few first mover people. Um, and that's just like one tiny element in this whole big thing. That's plus the write-off, right? You write off the vehicle yep. too, the business vehicle and you're advertising on it. So <clears throat> it's an unbelievable opportunity. So Hans, sounds like you've been thinking about this a lot. <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe just a little bit. <laughs> I also think, and this is just on the Cybertruck top. Like it's 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 coming, you know. And that's another exciting thing is that in another uh, two to three quarters, this thing's legitimately going to be driving around mm-hmm. Austin. You know, you're gonna get off yep. the airport in about a year's time, and you're gonna be driving to your destination, and a triangle on wheels is gonna show up, and you're gonna be <laughs> like, "What the hell just happened?" You know. And so, like, the look of Austin is gonna look. So, like for the first, uh, as they start ramping up, it's going to give us such an amazing, cool, futuristic feel once you get out of the, you know, if you're, if you're not mm-hmm. part of this city. Um, and then the other thing, too, that I keep going back to, and, and I've been, I put out a couple uh, videos on this topic with Cybertruck. The, the margins on this vehicle appear to be, like, we think the margins are going to get crazy now. This The Cybertruck potential from a margin perspective seems 
otherworldly. And I would love to hear, and we have a panel here, and I've been trying to poke holes at this thing and, and to see if, if maybe uh, I'm thinking about this incorrectly. But to me, it seems like Cybertruck can achieve 50% margins at a relatively uh, good scale. It doesn't even have to be fully ramped. And the way I get to that number is, you know, Elon made a comment back at the Cybertruck reveal that Cybertruck, uh, they're looking to achieve Model 3 costs or, or lower because they were looking to uh, uh, present this vehicle as a everyday man work truck, right? Or and anybody who can afford a pickup truck can buy it. And that's why they priced it at $40,000 before the COVID thing happened. But even after COVID and even after all these different things that Tesla has been working on, um, I don't think that target moves away from from Tesla. I still feel like Tesla and, and that and that team are going to look to manufacture this truck at the at a similar cost or maybe even below what the call it the Fremont Model 3 will be at, which by my estimations and Matt Smith from Good Solar has worked on this as well. Props to him. This is kind of where I borrowed this number from. $37,000, $38,000 per, per Cybertruck. Um, but they're going to be able to sell this thing for probably seventy-five thousand ASB for the at least for the first few years. If you compare it to their competition of, say, Rivian or um, I don't even know if they're competitors, but let's just use that as an example. The Ford F one fifty Raptor. These trucks start at 70, 75, 73. Why wouldn't Tesla be able to make 50% margins on top of this? And we're not taking into account the benefits that we get from this IRA bill and the and the seventy-five hundred dollar tax credit and like. Tell me if I'm thinking about this incorrectly. It looks like Tesla is going to have a a vehicle that's going to be mass produced that's going to be at fifty percent margins or above. Am I am I fucking stupid? Somebody please help me. <laughs> yes. Thank you. <laughs> I was hoping I was gonna somebody say, would take that. <laughs> I was thinking that um, uh, I, I I've heard your discussions about it and I'm familiar with the numbers. I guess the only thing would be one: how long it takes to ramp up. So if it takes nine years to ramp up and the costs are actually not 37, 38, but they're much higher until we get fully ramped up, mm -hmm. then the margins could be significantly lower. But it, I think once we're up to ramp up and costs are contained plus the battery, we got to be 50% margin or more. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't, think, I don't think Elon wants to charge 50% margins, but I, you know, as you had mentioned also like there may not be any choice like either the wait is going to be three years or the margins are going to be 50 percent. like you're going to basically end up having to choose one and you know one of them seems to make a lot more sense than the other i i think it's going to be close on the cost um you don't have a paint shop you don't have the stamp the panels um but it is bigger than a model y uh, you do, like, the tires are much bigger. Um, they may have special brakes on the Cybertruck. That would add some cost. Uh, maybe that's only on the top trim. Um, and I, I I, think they'll start at 100000 for the Plaid. And uh, if you want to get it first, you got to get the Plaid. Um, and I'm I'm guessing maybe 80 for the, the quad motor. Uh, maybe a little more it no way that the the i don't even think the bottom trim would be less than a model y now and the model y is six, uh, what sixty six thousand now right now in the u.s mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. so i i think it i think it'd be close to um be close to 50 percent margin be at least 40 so right. yeah that, 
Yeah. It'll be and and initially when it's all top trim, then it's it's going to be above fifty for a long time. Yep. It's crazy. Vers- Go ahead, versus versus a Raptor, yeah. you're going to want the eighty thousand dollar fiber truck every time. Yeah. Hundred percent. Plus you get the tax credits. I was just thinking about a nerdy like question that probably no one cares about. And that's whether or not the plaid cyber truck (laughs) will use 18650s or if they'll use 4680s just because Mm. the, you know, the plaid model S specifically uses the 18650 or 1865, whatever you want to call it, uh, cell specifically for a reason. And that is heat dissipation. Um, what we've seen from Sandy Monroe's model, Y structural pack tear down, doesn't look like the thermal performance to me of the structural 4680 pack is on par with a model s plaid battery pack and so yeah just you know musings it won't really matter they'll make it one way or the other they'll figure out the engineering problems um but yeah i think you know okay debuted here cybertruck may use an 1865 <laughs> battery cell <clears throat> for the plaid trim I'm looking through the battery they slides because I, I thought they had a slide where they uh, broke down which models were going to use uh, which batteries, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, here, let me see. Here we go. Here we go. Oops. I don't know how to use technology again. Um, so high nickel mass sensitive was going to, so they put the Cybertruck and the semi. But the 1865s in the Model S Plaid are high nickel cells. So that doesn't necessarily dictate form factor, whether that's going to be a 2170, a 4680, or an 1865. Is the energy density high enough on those? Yeah. Yeah, the energy density is pretty close either way. You do get a little bit of a loss because you have more cell casings per volume uh, and for weight. But uh, yeah, your thermal performance is by far the factor that you're going to be doing your engineering around. Um, and so you've got to, and it may be that they they can use a 4680 cell and they have to make some special accommodations in the pack to get better thermal performance out of it than they're getting in normal model-wise. What's this? This I, I. What's interesting about here is that the Cybertruck and the luxury SUV market, the battery production, looks to be in the same sort of ballpark from the battery day presentation. Mm-hmm. Again, remember this. This presentation was about two years ago. Um, this is this has to have changed, right? There's no way they're thinking they can only sell two hundred thousand of these, right? Or do you think do you think it's going to be more? Because it's basically what it's implying here, right? If I'm looking at this correctly. So, no, I mean, so luxury SUV, you're you're looking at their, because even at that point in time, Elon was predicting that, well, no, so luxury, no S, so that's, yeah, that's S and X. You're right. So I was thinking that he was comparing that to Model Y. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm thinking that that's got to be, that's got to be a lot, a lot bigger. What'd you say, Bradford? I think that what they're showing on this slide is the the global market for EVs and just saying where things slot in. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Tesla said they were targeting like two or three terawatt hours. 
So I 10 is so. like the, maybe the end state or maybe it's a global market. So okay. I think that's what this is showing. I got it. Okay. That makes sense. Okay. So maybe it's not, it's not an apples to apples comparison necessarily. They're just breaking it down by segment for global battery production. Okay. I thought they were got targeting 250,000. I believe that's correct. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, let's, uh, we're almost at two hours, but I want to hit one more topic. If, if possible, we're going to, we have a, we do have a practicing lawyer on, on deck here. And I've been dying to ask this question, uh, Mr. Borkhand, AKA Richard, uh, Richard. And, uh, I'm just trying to pronounce it like your name, but, um, I'm wondering, so I'm, I'm thinking about Twitter. Right. And, 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 you know, I think Richard, you've had some thoughts about, uh, I've seen you in the comments, we were talking about Twitter in the past. I would love to get your opinion as, as somebody who's, you know, I'm assuming going to be very familiar with the process that this is undertaking. What the hell is going to happen? Like, where are we heading? Do you think, what do you think of the, what's happening so far? And then we'll turn it into a conversation. You know, I'm not familiar with the chancery court in Delaware, so I've never practiced there. So I'm just doing it based upon what I heard. And I would say up until the whistleblower, I think it was a slam dunk against Elon. And I think it looked like Elon was trying to get out of the deal. And there was probably some communication suggesting that beforehand. I think once the whistleblower came forward on issues unrelated to the bots, and I think there, his major issue, I think, was security and privacy, that kind of created a whole different uh, setup. I expected Elon to file a cross-complaint. I expected him to try to include those claims, and they're in there. So I really think the person that has the most to lose is the CEO of Twitter, to the extent that he may have been aware of the allegations that were made by the whistleblower. And because of that, I would think he wouldn't want to be deposed in this matter. He would try to the extent he could to keep this under wraps as much as possible. And I'm sure that they're trying to negotiate a resolution, a new, uh, a new sale price on the purchase of Twitter. The problem for him is that's just half of his problem because let's say they reconstruct the deal so it costs instead of what's it, 54.20, it ends up being $42. Well, every shareholder of Twitter who was gonna get 54.20, who's now gonna get 42 bucks is gonna be pissed. And so I think ultimately the problem is the CEO and the board believe they're gonna get sued one way or the other. It, and that's what they're trying to figure out where their exposure would be the least. They have insurance that probably covers their legal fees and legal costs. And 99% of the time, 98% of the time, a resolution will arise. So that's what I would expect, that there will be some resolution involving a discount, and then they'll play the next round against the shareholders, and they'll try to negotiate something like that. They'll try to incorporate insurance money to try to get whatever deal done, and that will be the, the uh, end game. I think otherwise, I think the judge would have been inclined to rule against Elon before okay. that. So from your perspective, you think a uh, some sort of settlement here is the most likely outcome based on sort of the variables you walked us through? Again, this is just speculation. We're not yeah, saying this is what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah, based upon every case that's ever taken place on the world, you know, most of them are going <laughs> to settle anyway. Uh, usually okay. it's cost or risk. And here there's risk. 
Elon really kind of knows what his downside is. So, you know, it is what it is. He's got the wherewithal to, to complete the transaction. And if not, he has got extra money. But the board and the CEO of Twitter, that's a different position. And I really think that's where the risk lies. So I would expect them to be really aggressive in trying to resolve it with him. Okay. And 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 selling it is a better, at least for the board, is a better sale to their shareholders. Just the deal being wiped out and they end up not getting the 5420 and the value of the company is significantly reduced because of all the circumstances is not a good outcome for them. Yeah, that's kind of where my head goes. It's like if the deal falls through and and Elon does walk away, a Twitter becomes a less valuable asset immediately because Elon's not tied to the to the company. And then B, Elon has very openly said that he this is important to him, so he'll probably whip up a competitor. And he said Twitter is going to allow him to go two to three years faster. Mm-hmm. And now Twitter then has to deal with a competitor in two to three years. Like that doesn't seem like a winning combination <laughs> for the company. Yeah. So they have a lot of incentives to settle or to at least help mm-hmm. the. The, the deal closed, right? And I guess another alternative way he could do it is he could increase the amount of the termination fee. That was like a $1 billion fee. He could increase it. The board would then be able to say, you know, we we're only entitled to one, but we got three or five or two. And the, so they put it in the bank. It somehow helps the value of Twitter. And they can argue at least they got better than they were entitled to and move on from there. And then Elon would be have a bunch of money freed up. Uh, I mean, for me, three billion dollars would would hit my pocketbook quite heavily, but not quite as much his. Yeah. Any yeah. Uh, and any thoughts from the from the panel? I think the outstanding risk of Elon potentially stepping in at any minute and knowing that he can buy Tesla stock the next day should be like some immediate like uh, upside. Um, surprise like i'm not sure how what percentage of risk mm-hmm. that is to shorts but it, it is non-material i think it's non-zero of course but like elon stepping in like elon knows what his timeline is looking at even right now obviously we're not privy to that so if if he's already behind the scenes looking to settle and then presumably sets a date for settlement and then has a plan to buy tesla stock for the following week after or something knows maybe about S and P Moody's upgrades, who knows? Like, you know, there's a lot of, of moving parts here, but it, I guess it's exciting. I mean, we were having a conversation about this before we were saying right now it's Twitter in a month from now, when Twitter story is over, it'll be something else. So it's always, it's like mm-hmm. a revolving door of, of narratives to follow here. Yep. I think about the totality of Tesla shares. Let's say this is all the Tesla shares. And the, the shares that Elon owns are basically off the market. So it, it does matter if Elon were to take some cash and put it back into Tesla shares, because essentially he's taking these shares that are floating around the market. Um, they may get in the hands of people that occasionally trim or panic or whatever, or buy a Tesla or, you know, ha- have someone have a wedding or whatever. And, taking those shares and taking them off the market and that lowers the supply, the supply, which tends to increase the price. So I, I think it, it does matter a bit okay. and it may be a reason why, yeah. you know, we're, we're below you know, 400 bucks a share or, or below 333 or whatever, because Elon essentially added more shares to the market by selling. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Hans, any thoughts? 
Yeah, I'm nothing new. I, I really do hope that he does end up with Twitter one way or the other. And I'm sure that, yeah, they'll, if so, they'll figure it out at a, a price that kind of works for most people. Like everyone will be somewhat upset, but it'll basically work. I know who would definitely win. <clears throat> Lawyers. Ooh. The Lord, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This is freaking. Oh, they it's, always win. They always it's, it's win. Not, by the way, it's even when they lose, they win. It's not even about the money. I'm just thinking how much time suck this is for Elon. Like, think about where that time could better be spent. You know, it's just. uh But you know, it is what it is. It's his money. He can do whatever he wants. But I wonder about that. By the way, about the time thing. I think maybe he just operates better on having like ninety-seven thousand things going on in no time. Yeah, maybe. And that kind of like that constant deadline may be a good motivating factor for him. Not Mm. for me, but for him. Mm. I think there's something to that for sure. For sure. Well, y'all, two hours in, it felt like a freaking breeze. Incredible panel. Thank you all so much. Any closing thoughts from any of you before we wrap this sucker up? One quick callback to the Cybertruck discussion. So 1,100 gigawatt hours per year in pickup trucks is... 5.5 5.5 million pickup trucks per year if they use 200 kilowatt hour packs. Okay. So, but the 3000 number for semi, like, I don't know. I, it seems like a lot of cells being allocated to semi when the fleet of semis is not really that huge. I could definitely see, uh, Cybertruck sales using as many cells as semi. I do so. wonder, like the, the commercial aspect of it, that I feel like maybe <laughs> vans and whatever other types of transportation vehicles they come up with, that's going to take a bulk of that. Mm-hmm. You know, how do you think about yeah, that? It definitely could be. And the other thing is, you know, if they dramatically decrease the cost per mile of freight using tesla semi the demand for the number of tesla semis on the road as we shift probably away from a lot of stuff moving on rail to moving overland like Mm. it's going to dramatically increase the tam of the semi market uh if robo taxi is achieved or you can do platooning or you know there's there's a number of different potential business models so you know that may be what they're basically planning for there is replacing all essentially all freight with electric overland transportation got it i wanted to thank you all thank you for having me here and farzad i appreciate the check thank Mm. you very much Oh, you're very welcome. Yeah. The million dollar mm-hmm. check. Yeah, sure. Yeah, no problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this is how much we pay people when they come on. So you should go mm-hmm. become a patron because apparently I give out checks. <laughs> I, yeah. <laughs> I am, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you are. Yeah. Uh, thank you all very much. Uh, Yashu or Bradford, any any other closing comments from your side? Blueberries are not juju. That's it. Thank you <laughs> <laughs> when you yeah. came on, I wish that I had some blueberries nearby that I could... <laughs> yeah. Maybe there's a cyber van that comes with uh, smaller tires that's used in the Tesla commercial. I think that would be pretty tight. Um, last year, Elon donated $5 billion to his uh, his foundation. Um, I'm wondering what Elon does with that. And I, I wonder if um, maybe Elon could spend some time on the Texas Institute of Technology and Science. Um, mm-hmm. at, 
from what I hear, uh, Giga Austin, they're around 3,000 employees and uh, they're uh, struggling a little bit to add employees, get up to 50, 12 or 15,000, whatever their target is. If you create a university in Austin, that would help uh, attract more talent to the area. Yeah. Prop That's to Elon point. just gave $50 million yeah. to the uh, St. Jude's Children's Hospital. So props mm-hmm. to him. Yeah, awesome. for sure. Good yeah, he gives he gives a lot more than people realize, and I think that's something that doesn't get covered uh, as much, and I think mm. it should. But I think I think the Tesla community in general loves to give, and uh, that's one of the, my favorite things about this community is just how, like, my goodness, like, this impromptu conversation just came out of nowhere, and we're here. Like, I feel like we're doing a much better job than any traditional media outlet would be able to do to actually figure out <laughs> what the hell's happening with the company in the coming months and quarters. So that's props mm-hmm. to the entire community, you know, and it's just I feel very lucky and, and sort of honored and blessed yeah. to be part of it. So thank you all very much. Seriously. Yeah. 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 Thanks, for having, thanks for having us on. Absolutely. Thank you, everybody who's watched. Thank you, comments. Thank you, chat. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, all the supporters. Mwah. Love you guys. We'll see you next week. Take Peace care, out Peace. and broadcast. Bye for now. Thank Here you. Here we go.